On this edition of Magic Pod Squad, presented by Kia, we catch up with Magic assistant coach Mike Batiste. Mike is in his third year as an assistant coach under Steve Clifford here in Orlando, but he gets into his background, which started growing up in Long Beach, California, where he developed his love for the game as a diehard fan of the Los Angeles Lakers during the Showtime era, then playing college basketball at Arizona State, and going on to become a EuroLeague legend with Panathinaikos in Athens, Greece. He was a three-time EuroLeague champion, he was a EuroLeague MVP, and he has fantastic stories and insight about some of the games and the people he played with over in Greece, all the way to his NBA journey on the sidelines, which now has him working with the likes of Kim Birch, Mo Bamba, and Nick Vucevic, and what he tells them and how he continues to help them grow their game at the NBA level. Lots of terrific insight with Orlando Magic assistant coach Mike Batiste on this edition of Pod Squad. This is Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic. This is Evan Fournier. This is Jonathan Isaac. This is Mo Bamba. Check out what's new with the Orlando Magic Pod Squad. The host of characters give you a behind-the-scenes look at Magic basketball. The Magic Pod Squad has you covered. Subscribe and rate on iTunes and the Google Play Store today. And welcome to Magic Pod Squad. This podcast is presented by Kia, official vehicle of the Orlando Magic. And we are pleased to be joined by Orlando Magic assistant coach Mike Batiste, third year here in Orlando, assistant in Charlotte, Brooklyn before that, played professionally overseas. But we're most excited about Mike, obviously to catch up with you, but also to grow our fan base in Greece, because we know okay. you're a huge deal over there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you guys just set me up, huh? No, we're excited. We're excited. <laughs> You're quite accomplished, quite accomplished over there. We'll, we'll get into all of that, but uh, okay. we haven't seen you in a while, Mike. Do you do you miss us getting in your way on the road and on the bus? And, uh, and the- no, no question, man. It's, it's, it's totally different, um, especially with the routine you now have to take in with the protocol, the testing and everything. Uh, and, and then also uh, – you know, with the travel party, you know, they, they, they took, you know, some people away off the travel party and you're used to seeing them like walk on the plane while you're sitting down in your seat on the plane. So it, it's, it's a little bit different. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed that things will get back to normal soon and we can get back to our normal travel party and uh, things will be back to normal. Well, we certainly miss being out there with you. Uh, and, I, and I know you love doing what you're doing and I know the NBA is doing a great job, but is it, how strange is it? this year and kind of everything that you guys are going through. It's, it's completely strange. I mean, you know, everybody has a routine on the road. Like you said, some people go out to walks, like for myself, I'm really big on trying to uh, see family in certain destinations that we're in or see friends that I haven't seen in a very long time because of my time playing overseas. Uh, so it, it's a little bit different. Uh, I know like a lot of times in Atlanta, you know, we like to go out and eat, whatever, stuff like that. That's been taken away from us a, a little bit because we have to, you know, be be safe uh, at every angle. You know what I'm saying? That you walk or where you get outside, whatever. So it, it's it's a little bit different. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we know how to adjust on the fly. And uh, again, you know, once this is over, we can just get back to our normal routine and, and live life as usual. Mike, Mike, I tried I, to tell. I, oh, go ahead, David. No, you haven't, talk, you haven't talked to him in a while. I see Mike every no, day, so no, like, no, yeah, yeah. You should, give us, you should give us a I chance, just, George. I should just back off. You're right. Uh, it's great to see you, Mike. Um, you know, I, I've been doing some some deep diving on, on your background and uh, how you started in the game of basketball. And I know you you uh, you, you played in Long Beach, uh, California. You came out of Long Beach, California. Just tell us about when uh, when that passion 
was lit, when, when the fire was lit for you in the game of basketball. And give us a, a little bit of background about how you started playing the game and how you came to love the game. Uh, the game of basketball started for me at a very early age. I can remember at five years old. I mean, I, I was born at Centinella Hospital right across the street from the Great Western Forum. And if you guys know your history about the Great Western Forum, I mean, it's the Showtime Lakers, Magic, Kareem, Worthy, Byron Scott, Michael Cooper, Rambis, all those guys. So I had a, a, a really good education, um, you know, when I was very young about the game of basketball, uh, how to play the game, how to enjoy the game. You know, Magic always had this smile while he was playing. And that was one of the things that, you know, uh, every kid in L.A. and Long Beach, you know, wanted to 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 be about was the big smile like Magic and, and to try to play like him and emulate him the best way uh, you can. Uh, so that's what, what, what drove me, my, my passion, seeing the Lakers win and being on the big stage, basically, you know, almost every year in the eighties, uh, it, it was a big awakening for me. And, you know, every kid around the neighborhood was, was playing basketball. We had the converse, everybody was doing no look passes on the playground. So magic was, was, was a big deal for me and, and a lot of kids in the neighborhood. And that's uh, where my passion for basketball started. Mike, just to, so you know, for George and Dante, the Great Western Forum is history for David and I. That's that's life. Like you know, we we actually experienced it. So uh, Mike's younger that than me. Mike's younger than me. Yeah, but he grew up there. He, that's, he that's grew true. up that's there, right? right? He was right there in the shadow. It's different because like everybody wants to be what the Lakers were. They were, they were champions. So in your own right, that's what you wanted to be. Whether, you know, you was in your own city section in Long Beach in your high school section, you know, you wanted to be a champion, just like your idol and your role model. And, you know, very early on in sports, you find out that that doesn't happen, right? This, this game of sports, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a lot of heartbreak. It's a lot of joy as well. But even at an early age, you know, I, I found out that championships are not, you know, given to you. You know, they're, they're, they're earned and you got to work very hard for it every single day. So uh, the, the journey of basketball has been great for me. And again, ever since a young age, I, I've been embracing and loving this game. Um, Dante, is that how you felt too? Is that how you felt about the Lakers and and, and the Forum and all that? Right. I grew up in I grew up in Boston, Mike. Complete opposite. <laughs> oh, complete opposite, man. man I, was I, I respect you. I respect you guys, man. But hey, listen, there, there's a lot of times when some of those games come on the NBA TV, and yeah. I don't care what I'm doing, man. I, I could be playing with my kids. I, I might stop playing with them and go watch the game because it brings back like so many good memories of, of your childhood that's so far away right now. So you get those memories of sitting on the couch with your brother, your mother, your sister, some of your yes, friends that's right. in the neighborhood to, you know, to watch, uh, you know, the game six to game seven in LA or in Boston, whatever it was, it, it's just a, a great time to watch those games and, and, you know, bring back memories. Hold on. Though, so my, your wife though, doesn't tell your wife doesn't do like mine does and says, didn't you already watch this game 38 times? And you know how this ends. Like yeah, that's how that's how yeah, it happens in my house. Yeah, even, even when I watch like sports and she's like, why do you watch the same thing over again? I said, well, I forgot the sentence that the guy said before. Like, yeah, that's right, right, right. I'm going to watch it again. And she's just like, whatever, I'll take over the living room TV. You go put a TV on. <laughs> you can go watch Sports Center as much as you want. So that's how we dealt with that problem. You know, the, the wife always wins and right. you're always compromising. Happy wife, happy life for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. Hey, Mike, Dante mentioned it. You spent a lot of time overseas and everything. For the people listening, kind of take us through 
that journey, how, where you started and, you know, and then on to Greece where you had so much success. Well, that, that journey was tough, you know, coming out of a uh, college at Arizona state. Um, you know, I had, you know, dreams of being drafted, whatever. Of course, I, you know, I heard my names, you know, being thrown around there in the late first round, second round, whatever. Um, you know, I go to Chicago in a pre-draft camp and I tear my ACL. So mm-hmm. then it's like, you know, you're going around to all these medical stations, they're looking at your MRI and they're just shaking their head. And it was just a bad feeling because I because I knew what I did. I still thought I might be able to get lucky to get drafted, you know, be with a team that could, you know, give me the proper rehab and stuff. But that just didn't happen. So, you know, I basically had to sit out a whole year and uh, go back to school at Arizona State, uh, you know, watch my good friend Eddie House put up crazy numbers in his senior year. Uh <laughs> And, and from there, it was, it was, uh, I was just reflecting on life at that time by everything that, that I've been going through with the knee injury. Uh, you know, just asking myself tough questions is something that you really want to do. Cause you know, when, when your body betrays you, uh, it's the, you know, it's, it's very disappointing because you, you're almost like this superhuman figure in a little bit, you know, you could run and jump and do all these, these great things. And then it's taken away from you at a certain moment. It was, it was time for me to, you know, reflect and then play the patient game because rehabbing the knee takes, you know, nine to 12 months. All your friends are having fun playing ball and you have to sit back and just watch everything and, you know, not be around. So, uh, you know, from from that, uh, you know, once I got done with the knee surgery, I just wanted to hurry up and go play somewhere. So, um, you know, my agent found the deal for me in, in Belgium and the whole you know, uh, goal over there was just to go over there, play, get your knee in shape and mentally, you know, get back to playing, cut and run and jumping. So, so you can trust your knee again. So, you know, went over there, had a you know pretty good year, you know, came back to the summer league with uh, Milwaukee, played pretty well. I thought maybe I might get some looks, but you know, things just didn't work out that way. So I took another deal in Italy, uh, in Biella, which is 45 minutes from Milan. So I got, you know, great culture, food, history. Uh, but it, you know, it's, it's a little bit different, you know, like you're homesick sometimes and, and uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you have different emotions. Some day is good, some day is bad. You know, you want to go home sometimes. But, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of responsibility on my shoulders. Now, one, you know, I wanted to, you know, get my family out of the situation that they was in. Uh, so I know I had to keep going. Uh, uh, the easiest thing was to do was quit, but you know, with with all the I guess the pressure that was on my shoulders, I just I just couldn't back away. So you know, I had a you know another pretty good year in in Italy. You know, played very well, and 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 at that time in Italy, you know, I got a chance to play against some some really good guys, and Manu Ginobili was one of those guys I was able to play against before he came over against the Spurs. So uh, the the Italian league was very competitive. I felt it was it was the league for me at that point, but. Um, you know, I still wanted more. I, I, I believed in my talent. You know, I knew what I was capable of. And then, um, you know, I ended up getting a call uh, from the Clippers uh, to be invited to their vet camp. And I really had a great experience there because Quentin Richardson, Elton Brand, Olawa Candy, uh, El, uh, uh, Lamar Odom, all these guys were out in the preseason. So I can remember Alvin Gentry coming to me. He's like, hey, guys, this is just going to be like a summer league for you guys. Get out there, play. And if you open, shoot the ball. So I had a, a great summer league. At one point, I was leading the Clippers in points, you know, during the summer league, having a very productive, uh, I mean, preseason. And, you know, I remember 
you know, driving up to Southwest College and Albert Gentry sitting out in the front and he wouldn't even allow me to go in the gym. He was just like, Mike, you know, this is the, you know, the business, this is the change that, you know, we're about to happen, you know, just to make the team. So again, disappointed again, you know, uh, even though I love the Lakers, you know, playing for the Clippers, I'm still at home. You know, I could be sure. around my family. I, I, I was motivated to play in front of my family. So I felt, you know, the Clippers uh, lost out on a player. Uh, but uh, once I was waived with them, you know, I think it wasn't even 24 hours. And then I, I get a call from Jerry West and, you know, you, you get a, a call from the Laker legend on the other end of the phone. You can only imagine like how I'm feeling, you know, as, as a, as a diehard Laker fan growing up with that historic, uh, you know, the, the history and stuff with the Lakers. And now I'm actually talking to like the Laker, you know what I mean? Jerry West. And he's like, look, Mike, we picked you up off of waiver wires and, you know, you're going to catch a plane tomorrow morning and meet us in Detroit. And you guys know how this this goes. I mean, some guys like myself, you know, you, you fly to a city and things are running as soon as you hit the ground and everything that you're learning is, is on the fly. So uh, it, it was a little bit different for me because I kind of felt that I was going to make the Clippers team. I wasn't like uh, arrogant about it, but I just felt that. I played well enough to push somebody off the roster to put me on the roster and and, and that didn't happen. So it it took me a while to get kind of used to Memphis a little bit. And then within that couple of weeks, you know, we have a coaching change, you know, we fire Sid Lowe, we bring in Hubie Brown and everything changed in terms of the culture in in Memphis in terms of accountability, responsibility, how we play the game. Um, you know, I learned a lot, you know, from QB uh, in that time because he he was all about accountability. If you didn't deny that wing, he was going to let you know. And if you didn't do it again, he was going to take you out, sit you down and let you know about it. Um, and I think that was a great lesson for me that year because, you know, when eventually when things didn't work out in Memphis, um, I still wanted, you know, to, to, to stay and play in the NBA. Um, but a deal came through from, from Greece and I really didn't know what to do. You know, I, I started my career in Europe. I really didn't have a problem going back there, but I felt that I had, you know, a good enough year in the NBA where I can get another look or make another roster spot with another team. And that, you know, just didn't happen, you know, and, uh, I ended up signing a deal, um, in Athens, Greece for a team called Panathinaikos, who, uh, you know, when you look, uh, do the research about European basketball. I mean, they're one of the pillars. And at that time, I, I didn't know that as well of what I was getting into. I really didn't know how big the, the basketball club Pantanaikos was. So again, I'm uh, in another foreign country, no family, different language. And it's, it takes time to adjust um, to everything up over there. Um, you know, luckily I, I was able to do that and, you know, have a productive career. Uh, and, and, you know, and it's like a second home for me up, up over there. You know, when I see pictures of Greece now, sometimes I do get emotional because of, you know, when you see a picture, all these great memories like run through your head uh, so fast. You have 10 years of great memories and they can all just play in, a, in literally in like two or three minutes. Like when you see a, a picture or a postcard or something like that. So uh, the, the, the experience for me has been, you know, it, it, it was great, you know, to start over in Europe, come to the NBA, you know, get that experience, um, not having things work out. I felt I was built for that, you know. Um, I always felt like that the game of basketball, you know, works for me. I don't work for basketball, so I felt like wherever it takes me, as long as it's a good situation where I can provide for myself and my family, 
you know, I was going to look into it and, and, and go for it. Like I was looking at uh, how much success you guys had, you played what, eight years with Panathinaikos ten. and ten. 10 years for them. You, you yeah. went back a second time, right? Yeah. So I played nine straight years and then I left and then I came back and retired. I was done. Yeah. And you, and you won three EuroLeague titles and that, that must've been a real thrill. That's a big deal, obviously. And uh, that first one I was reading about, uh, I guess it was in Greece and you played uh, Seska from Moscow in yeah. the championship game. It's, it's referred to as one of the great finals in EuroLeague history. What mm -hmm. do you remember about that, about that experience? And uh, what was that crowd like there in Greece when you're playing in front of your home fans and, just give us a, a, a peek inside of your EuroLeague championship basketball. If you guys can ever experience a European crowd live, I mean, you guys have to go. I mean, it, it really does send a chill down your spine when you see uh, the support from fans. You know, like three hours before a game, it's already 15,000 in there, you know. And just to walk out there and feel the intensity of the crowd, that's all I needed to get going. You know what I mean? The the energy from that crowd was was unreal. Um, you know, there is times that you're down the game and you can use the the energy from the crowd to to get back in it, to get a stop or to execute. It was it was a thrill of a lifetime. But in in that final, you know, if you know about the the Owaka Stadium, they used that for the 2004 Olympics uh, when the Olympics was down there in um, in Athens, and that that arena seats I believe 18,000. But if you ever see video of that, it's about 25,000 people in that arena. You know, this is the first time they had a yearly Final Four, uh, you know, in Athens. So it was a really big deal. And we have a team from Athens representing, you know, uh, the country of Greece, and, you know, in, in the Final Four. So it was a really big deal for us. Uh, you know, we, uh, we had to go through a, a tough uh, Tal Karamica team that was led by Luis Scola, Tiago Splitter, uh, Pablo Prigioni. So we had to go to them in the semifinals. And then, of course, you know, we, we get Cheska in, in, the, in the final and we end up winning by two. But a lot of it was a very emotional game. Um, Cheska had won the European title the year before. So they're defending champions. Uh, tons of talent on their team. Trajan Langdon was a part of that team. Uh, uh, J.R. Holden, who's now a, a scout with Brooklyn, he was on that team. So it was a very, very competitive ball game. Uh, but deep down inside, I always felt that we was winning just because we're playing on our home court in our backyard with our fans. So I felt that that was a, an added luxury for us to, to to kick the door down and eventually win my first European title. Yeah, but Mike's downplaying his career, guys, over there. Yeah. Because yeah. When, uh, let me just look at it real quick. We have a three-time EuroLeague champion, EuroLeague finals top score, all EuroLeague first team, all EuroLeague second team. I remember when we hired Mike, uh, he wasn't at the facility yet. And Evan Fournier was there and he came up to me and he said, and this is, you know, keep in mind, there's a kid from France. He's not from Greece. He's from France. Right. Comes up to me and he says, wait a minute, George, we, we hired Mike Batiste, EuroLeague legend. Mike Batiste is coming. <laughs> I said, yeah, he's coming. He's coming. So my, you, you're downplaying how much of an impact you had over there during your, during your 10 years that uh, you were, you were something over there. Uh, that, that's what a lot you, of people you can say. admit it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, listen, you know, when, when I first, you know, got to Pantanaikos, we had uh, Rodney Buford was there before. And the stories that I heard from Buford really wasn't good. And, 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 I, and I know Rodney uh, personal and uh, he, he's not a bad kid or whatever person I would say. But, you know, you go through things in life and that's what happened. And 
when certain players go through stuff like that, they think the next player coming in is going to be the same product or, you know, or act the same way. I just wanted to be different and just change the, the, the mindset of how people thought about American players coming over to Europe because they all thought they were just lazy. All we want to do is, you know, get the ball and score or whatever. So I, I just want to bring a different aspect uh, of, of my basketball game, you know, to Europe and try to adjust as much as possible. Um, it, it was a tough, you know, rough couple, couple years for me. I had a very, very demanding coach. I mean, if you wasn't in the right spacing, if you wasn't in a deep corner, I, he, would, he would just let you know. And that was a, a really big adjustment for me because kind of in the NBA, you kind of find your way a little bit. But over here, it is, it's a little bit more cutthroat. And if you're not doing your job, you don't care if your wife is in a crowd. He's going to let you know. And you're going to have to, yeah, you're just going to have to take it. It's nothing personal, but you're just going to have to take it how, how it's, it's delivered to you. You're going to have to sit on the bench and register it as much as possible and get on to the next play. That was very tough for me my, my first couple of years. Uh, you know, by the third year, uh, I pretty much bought into everything that the team wanted me to do. Uh, they brought me over there my first year to play a, play the four spot. By the end of my second year, they moved me down to the center spot. And my coaches was just like, hey, look, Mike, you're, you're quicker than most bigs. Uh, you're, you know, you're physical. You can hold your own. So let's try this out and, you know, see how it works. And I remember looking at them and I said, coach, don't worry about it. Just put me out there and, you know, I'll find a way to, to help the team and, and, you know, get the job done. So from, from that change right there, our team just took a – catastrophic, you know, leap in, into the, the European uh, supremacy. And that was, you know, uh, of course, we had other players, you know, that, that tied in. It doesn't take one player. But uh, I think from that change right there, uh, I really it really just catapulted us into, like, one of the top teams in Europe. And we really had a dynasty over there for, for nine years. I mean, if you really look at our track record, how many titles we won, I don't think there'll be another European team to do like what we did in a, a nine year time uh, span. Um, so to be a part of that history is good, but also to be like looked at as the cornerstone of, uh, you know, of what American players should strive to be like. I've, uh, you know, been sent, you know, Twitter uh, messages, whatever, from other players in Europe, uh, you know, telling me how they, they looked up to me, how they, you know, wanted to, to patent their game after me. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a real humbling experience. Uh, we also, uh, you know, there's a player over in Europe right now that plays for uh, uh, Ettore Messina, who was a coach at the San Antonio Spurs named Kyle Hines. And he is pretty much carrying the torch that I left behind, uh, you know, when I retired. And you talk about my track record of my career. Here, his is, you know, was up there just like mine, uh, you know, winning defensive player of the year, you know, being first team all yearly, whatever. And he has won four European titles. So uh, for me to be the, the, the person to look at, to, to be the face of, uh, of hard work or, or a champion of, of what American players should, should to patent their game after or their demeanor, whatever, it's a very humbling experience to have my name tied into to some guys that came after me. I was so, going to say, is that surreal though, Mike? Because you probably had like, I mean, shoot, I had those dreams when I was laying in bed at night and I was nowhere near the athlete that you or anybody else that we end up talking to, JT. I mean, you, you've experienced it. It may not have been maybe in your head where your dreams were like at the forum, right. but I mean, right. you did it for 10 years and you had that experience. Yeah. If I, if I could ever, I will say, 
if uh, if Pantanacos was the closest thing to the Lakers for me, then I mean, uh, you know, uh, I was all for that. And plus, you know, when when we won our first Greek League title, I got a chance to experience winning. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of players, uh, especially in NBA, they won't experience like winning. Yes, you will win games, but yeah, got right. experience winning at a high level on a specific platform. And I felt that and it kind of like moved me in a different way. It was like, man, like I want to do it again. And after my first year with Pantanaikos, I came back home looking for NBA options. Of course, it's like, you know, you do your due diligence, whatever, see if there's a roster spot out there. That didn't happen. So I went back a second year and the second year we ended up winning another Greek title. And uh, again, came home my second year looking for another NBA deal. Nothing happened. Um, I go over a third year and, you know, it's like kaboom. You, you just take off in this catastrophic uh, uh, ball game and you're, you're winning games like crazy. You're treated like rock stars, not only in your, you know, your own country of Greece, but you go to Spain, you go to Italy, like people knew you, you know what I mean? We get off the bus. I mean, people like, you know, they want your autograph. They want to grab you, take a picture of you. Like it was, it was a very, very crazy experience for me. And again, if there was anything that the, the, that the Lakers live, you know, with magic and those guys in those prime, I felt I experienced a little bit of, of that. And, and that's a, a memory that will always, you know, sit with me for, you know, to the day I die. That's Mike, I, I, I played, I played two seasons in Italy kind of in between my career, my New Jersey and my Orlando stints. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the culture, the change and everything. Like, what was the biggest, like, you have a story like the, the biggest culture shock you had. I, you know, for, for instance, like little things people don't, maybe don't realize is like the Americans that I played with, the, the, the lack of convenience. Uh, yeah. Like you just couldn't like run to, you know, a fast food restaurant and everything. Wow. My wife and I, uh, one of the first nights we were there, we walked into a restaurant in Italy and we were in Cantu, so pretty close to where you were. Right. Uh, we walked into a restaurant at 630, right? <laughs> there's nobody there, you know, there's no, and, and the, you know, the, the owner walks out and he's, you know, he knows who I am. It's a small town. He says, how can I help you? I said, like, well, we're here for dinner. And he, he just looked at us and they scrambled and found us some food. But that was, you know, it's just different. What, what was a, what's a great story from a culture shock you had overseas? One of those was like eating dinner late at night. You know, like yep. you said, here in America, it's 6, 30, 7, 8 o'clock over there. It's 10, 11 o'clock. I mean, <laughs> you're eating dinner. Then you're done with dinner. One, one thirty, two o'clock. You're just like, oh, my God, like what happens with time? But um, I think the language was uh, a real, you know, culture shock for me. Uh, just being in a different environment. You know, when you walk outside in the streets of Europe, they're very like narrow streets. The buildings are different. So everything that was around you in this 360 degree bubble was totally something different that you never seen before. So it, like, like you said, uh, everything that you grew up with in America, it, it, you just wasn't seeing it with your own two eyes. It, everything was different. The way you walked, the way you breathed the air was different over there. So there was a lot of the, the food over there, you know, uh, you know, if you really wasn't a foodie, like my, my first couple, two, three years, I wasn't a foodie, you know, I, I was stuck in my habits of eating the fast food and stuff like that. So it wasn't like, again, like you just couldn't adjust again, walk down the street and just go get something really quick to eat. It just wasn't like that. So it, it, it was a very big deal, like an adjustment period for me with the language, the food, uh, the, the culture, 
the, the way that one country might move later in the night, like we said, eating dinner at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, all that stuff was very different for me. It, it took a while to adjust, but I think once I, I got to Athens, I was able to, uh, you know, be, be myself a little bit. Number one, their, their second native tongue was English. So it was easy for me to, to get around in Athens. I, I learned a little bit of the language. So whenever I ran into a roadblock with somebody that couldn't speak English, I knew how to say certain things, uh, you know, that I learned from my teammates or the teacher that I had coming in once a week. Um, so I was able to move around a little bit. And again, like I said earlier in the podcast, like when I, Athens really is a second home, you know, for me, like I really have friends over there that I deeply love that I treat like family. And, um, you know, when, when you go up over there and not only like my teammates, the love that I was getting from um, the citizens of Greece, just the general people up over there uh, made my time over there in Athens, uh, you know, easier for me. Uh, and just for an American kid, like from Long Beach, California, to come all the way over, you know, to Athens, Greece and, and experience, you know, joy, winning, love it always made my decision to go back to Athens a lot easier, especially when it was time for like contract negotiation. Of course, in the back of your head, you know, you maybe still want to be in the NBA or not, but at this time, I mean, you, you won, you know, a couple of European titles, you've won, you know, four or five Greek league titles. At this point, it's like, why break up a good thing? Just, you know, just keep going. Uh, you're winning, you're having fun. Uh, you're one of the main players on the team. Uh, so it, uh, it got to a point where I had to put the NBA, you know, six feet in the ground and just worry about, you know, what's really ahead of me. And that was trying to conquer more European titles. So, uh, you know, my experience was, 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 was great. You know, I mean, we can go on for hours and talk about it. Um, but to, to, to come from Long Beach, California and have, you know, to, to, to go over to Athens, Greece and, and be, uh, you know, uh, a European legend over there. I mean, it's it's something that I'm I'm very grateful for. Mike, one one just one last follow up. I'm always interested when Jeff talks about the guys he played against that never came to the NBA. You know, some yeah. of the greats that were over there. And now you played with yeah. Nikola Pekovic. You played with Boyan Bogdanovich. Mm-hmm. You played with some guys that you probably knew had a good chance to right. come to the NBA. So I, I'd be curious to know maybe a guy that you knew right away that you thought would make it to the NBA, and then maybe the best guy that you played with or against that decided just, just to would, not come. Just to I will come. give you a name that I played with. His name is Dimitri Dimitidis. Uh, he was part of that uh, Greece team on the 2016 that beat, you know, uh, the USA team in Japan. Uh, if you ever do the research of me and him, they say we're the best pick and roll pair ever to play in Europe. Uh, a great defender, 6'5", really good length with his arms, uh, southpaw shooter. Uh, and it is a is a bona fide killer if you ask me. You know, if you if he doesn't speak much, if you don't know him and walk past him in the locker room, you would never know who that guy was. But when he puts on a jersey, the number thirteen, everybody knew where the ball was going to in the last five minutes. Uh, I really wish he would have, you know, tried to to come here to the NBA. I think his game was made for the NBA, but he came from a small city of Castoria, Greece, which is probably like six, 7,000 people. So when he first came to Athens, he was in shock because he's never been around, you know, millions of people before in his life. And I don't even think the first two years he came to Panathinaikos, I don't even think he drove around Athens because there's so much traffic. 
You know, he's probably walking around in Castoria by foot, you know, doing his errands and stuff. And in Athens, you got to get in the car and drive around. And he just wasn't used to that. And I think if he would have came over here to America, I think he would have had that same kind of cultural shock. Um, uh, And he would kind of felt the things that I was going through, not having family there, support system. I'm pretty sure he would adjust it. Um, But those things are very hard. You know what I mean? To, to be away from your family for, you know, X amount of months. And for me, you know, being on one of the best team in Europe. So I already knew I was gone for 10 months. You know what I mean? Like we're constantly right. battling for European supremacy every year. And I was coming home almost like beginning of July, man. You know, and you get home in July, you do, you know, six weeks there in the middle of August, you're back at it again. You know what I mean? So uh, I really wish that, uh, you know, Dimitri would have, came up over here. I remember seeing an interview of Kobe one time before he passed, you know, he, I think Kobe was like the ambassador of the, the world championships a couple of years ago. And he had an interview about a guy that he always watched um, uh, when he used to watch European games and wish that he came over. And that was Dimitri Dimitidis. So anytime I hear his name, that puts a big smile like on my face because that's uh, my teammate. That's my brother. Uh, we, we won games together. We've lost games together. And um, and you never know, man. Uh, his name might sneak up in the Hall of Fame one day. That he was he was he was that good. I, I promise you guys that. That's very Mike, impressive. Uh, you know, I'm watching uh, watching you work with with the Magic Big Man. Um, you're known as a guy that really is is a terrific big man coach, one of the best in the NBA. I'm just wondering, listening to you talk, um, how influential was your time in Europe, the coaching that you got from. Uh, from your coach in Greece, what what was his name? Jelovich. Jelovich. Yeah, they 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 say he's the Phil Jackson of Europe. So I'd rather hear David <laughs> say it again. If, if David Rodovich. tried to say it again, that'd be cool. Jelovich. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yeah, it's yeah. If you if you guys are hey, listen, uh, like Jelovich was a was a no nonsense coach, but he was he was a player's coach. You know, he demanded a lot from from us. Uh, but he he was a player coach, and uh, it's it's funny uh, when sometimes again when you watch games on uh, NBA TV they show the the 1994 or not a uh, 94 World Championships, and you see uh, the USA team uh, play against Serbia, and you see when Reggie Miller and Vlade Divac they get like in this little scuffle right in front of Serbia's bench, and you see my coach push Reggie Miller. And every time I see, every time I see that clip, like that's my coach right there, you know. Yeah, he he was a player's coach, but he was he was all about us, and we we knew like uh, he was a very special coach. It's like having he was like a cheat code for us, a six man, you know, uh, the way that we adjusted on the fly, the uh, after timeout plays that he would draw for us to execute was uh, it, it was second to none, and to to be in that era, you know, playing on a team where you got 12 guys with a high level IQ, where you can just throw anything out there at them. We can just adjust on the fly was, was one of the greatest luxuries that, that we had over in Europe. One of the reasons why we won so many titles over in Europe, a lot of teams just couldn't do what we did. I would have uh, called him Coach O. Coach <laughs> some, people, some people call him Zots. So just to, there you go. But, um, you know, the, the, the one thing I learned, like from from him, is, again, is 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 the accountability uh, is the teaching. Um, I, you know, became a, I, I, I've always said I was a student of the game. Um, 
But when I was watching a video, I was more just watching the game and have fun. You know, when I got to uh, to Athens, uh, watching video was like being in class. It was like a school session. And if you didn't pay attention or if you, you know, was leaning back in your chair, maybe coach might call on you to tell you hey, how to figure out this play. And you're going to have to explain in front of the team. And you didn't want to be embarrassed by him because he will let you know. So... <laughs> You know, be being being accountable. You know, accountable. That that was one thing, and and the teaching um, that he was able to to do to help us learn uh, the the game in 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 a way that you see a lot of you know European players uh, learn. I mean, we're very uh, skilled with fundamentals. We were skilled with with intelligence, of, and and you know that was a great again. That was a great luxury for us to have. So, you know, when I retired, you know, those, those are some of the things that I wanted, you know, to take with me, uh, you know, make sure these guys have a level of accountability, make sure that I'm teaching them the right things within our, our system, our philosophy, uh, and, and trying to get, you know, better at, at our basic principles uh, night in and night out. Because even from my experience, uh, winning all those titles, we won titles on our principles. Uh, we really didn't do a lot of things special. We didn't reinvent a lot of stuff. What we put in in training camp, we lived and died by it every single game. When we lost, we didn't point fingers at nobody to try to reinvent anything. We just tried to do the principles better the night before uh, that, that we didn't do it. So uh, those are the things that, that I tried to instill in, in Booch, those things that I tried to instill in Birch and Mo as well. So uh, I, I think it's working uh, <laughs> pretty much, uh, you know, but even for me as a coach, it's still – uh, you know, room to grow, room to learn, and to pass on to the players that that you that you work with. Mike, I'm sure you got a soft spot in your heart for Kim, having played overseas for a couple of years, and you guys have a, certainly have a bond and a chemistry there. But uh, can can you just hit on you know his work ethic and how hard he plays and what you found there, and also Mo? Uh, the, the fans are infatuated with Mo Bond, right. and, and what yeah. are you? What are you telling him in his development, keeping his spirits up, keeping his motor going? What what is, what has been your message to Mo in his development? Uh, my thing with Mo is like, you know, uh, come in and work hard every single day. I know he's had some setbacks. There's no fault of his own, you know, with the with the injury his first year and then the stuff that he had to battle with in, in the bubble. I mean, that's no fault of his own. Um, and, and that's kind of tough for a kid, you know, to come in and have all these, this determination, this ambition, you have these, these, these setbacks and that's tough. So my message to Mo is, you know, keep your head up, keep grinding. Every, every day you walk through that door is a testament to, to getting better. Just like every single player, because every player that walked through that door has every tool inside that arena to, to succeed. And Mo was on that path to, to success. I feel that he's going to have a place uh in this league on this team when that when that time comes um but he has to stay ready because you don't want to not be ready um when your time when your number is called and you know how the nba works somebody can get sick somebody can twist an ankle uh we can be in foul trouble one night who who knows uh but mo has our to guys stay- can get hurt no way there's no way that's <laughs> true george the the the, the <laughs> way it's going now i mean you, you can't, yeah you, you can't turn an eye from it uh, and you, you know, you have to, you know, be, be ready when, when that happens. Even last night, we, we got banged up a little bit. Um, and that's just how the, the rigors of, of the NBA go. And you have to, you know, keep these guys ready to have the next man up, you know, uh, mentality. Uh, you've seen a couple of times that Mo got into the game. You, you've seen the, 
the the level of play that he's played with. Uh, hopefully he will stay on, on that same path so his game can only elevate and, and get better to where it needs to be. And I think if most days on that path, uh, the fans and everybody else is going to see what he was brought here uh, to Orlando to, to do. And again, I, I know it's, it's taken some time, um, but you also, again, the, the setbacks that he had is no fault of his own and he just has to work his way through it. And I know he will. Um, you know, with Birch, uh, I mean, we kind of hit it off, you know, from the start, like you said, uh, his time in Greece or playing in Europe, uh, we've had a lot of stories uh, to, to talk about. I remember my first time coming to Amway and Birch was in the weight room, which he lives in. And he asked <laughs> any teammate, with right. he's probably the hardest worker in the weight room. He totally takes care of his body, um, totally professional with that. And you respect that a lot. But my, my, my first time interacting with Birch, you know, uh, uh, Miss Becky Bonner saw us talking for like 30 minutes. And she comes up to me when you're done. She was just like, what the hell was you saying to Birch? I've never seen him talk no more, no more than two minutes to anybody. Yes. How yes. Like, uh, Story. Well, we, we have a lot of things in common. Uh, if you do uh, the research with Pantanaikos, you will understand their, their biggest rivalry is, is Olympiacos. Olympiacos, yep. The history on Olympiacos, uh, Walter Berry has played there. Uh, the number of big-name players have, have went through that organization played as well. So we had uh, – and we also played um, with the same teammate, Vasily Spanoulis, who, uh, who came and played over here with the Houston Rockets. Things didn't work out well, and he came back home to Greece. Uh, so we was able to, like, you know, have stories about playing with, with, with Vasilis, with Billy. And, you know, from that, we, we, just, we just hit it off. You know, because we both played the same position uh, in Europe. We both set screens uh, for the same player and we benefited a lot from the same player. So we had a lot of things in common. Uh, we was able to talk about certain places in Greece, uh, the, the beaches, the restaurant. So we, we, we hit it off right from the start. And I felt that that has also helped Birch uh, through his time of, of, of growth here. Uh, because you also got to understand, you know, Birch was, you know, really wasn't playing a lot of minutes in the beginning. And uh, he had to work his way, you know, through some stuff and stay ready, uh, keep his body ready, yeah. uh, you know, be trusted by a coach, be trusted uh, by the guys. And it's got to that point where he has worked so hard, uh, you know, he has gotten to that point where he's trusted. And, 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 and those are the things that you admire about certain players. Uh, even when we like land, you know, sometimes at two or three o'clock in the morning, you know, some players, you know, coaches tell those guys don't come into the arena. But somehow Burst finds his way into the arena, man. Like, you can't keep him out of there. He is a, like, nonstop worker, takes care of his body. Even if he comes to the gym and just shoots 100 free throws, he's, he's always in the gym working. And from not just me as a coach, but every coach on the staff admires that. You know what I mean? Like, you want to have that work environment where other players see another teammate working. and They want to, you know, come to the gym and, and work just as hard, just like him. So big respects to Birch, uh, big respects uh, to Mo. Those, those guys are, are going to continue to work and, and, and get better and, and help us in a big way. All right, lastly, Mike, before we let you go, you grew up a big Laker fan. I, I miss the days when you could clothesline Kurt Rambis. Like, I miss that. <laughs> growing, up, growing, up a, growing up a Celtics fan, it would be a common foul. No big common deal. foul. You could just send them up and up end them into the stands. Yeah, yeah. Did you like that? Did you like that physical play? Were you a bruiser? Like, did you enjoy that physical? Yeah. Not, obviously, you were more you were you were skilled, but did you enjoy that physicality? 
that yeah, you that, grew up that, watching? That, that was my era. You know, even sometimes me and Ty Corbin, we sit back and, you know, talk about 80s, you know, 90s basketball. Just the level of physicality, how different it was. I, I, I think from that mentality, um, you know, I went over Europe with that, with that same mindset. And when you go see or watch a European game, you can see how much more physical it is, right, with the hand touching and stuff like that. Not a lot of freedom of movement over there. And this is the reason why, you know, you hear Lucas saying it's easier to score here than it is over there in, in Europe with the different rules and stuff like that. It's, it, it is different. Uh, the amount of spacing that you have on the floor here, it's, it's, it's crazy. And if you got a quick first step, you're probably going to beat your guy, be in the paint, finish at the rim or, you know, kick out the teammates or the spot up three. So that level of mentality, I took right over to, uh, to, to Europe. You know, I'm six eight six nine. You know, uh, if I walk through the gym, my size probably wouldn't intimidate you if you, you know, you know. But uh, I think once, you know, opponents lined up against me, they, they found out that, you know, I was high level fundamental. My IQ was high level. Uh, and I was one of the best screen setters, rollers, uh, pick and roll defenders uh, that you saw up over there. And for 40 minutes, you was going to be in a battle with me. And that there was nothing that you could do to get me out my game. You wanted to play fast, I could play fast. You want to play slow, I could play slow. You want to do the physical game, you can, we can do that too. And if you want to play dirty, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was all for it. You know what I mean? Um, and I think having that mentality uh, helped me in, in a lot of ways uh, in, in Europe because I really had to battle uh, some, some really big guys up over there and hold my own. And um, I'm very, very proud of that, not just from a physical body standpoint, but sure. from a mental standpoint because this game is uh, more mental than it is uh, physical. And uh, for me to excel that way, um, you know, I never thought there was a level of basketball, you know, that way. I always thought it's athleticism, talent, that will take you far. But when you get to a level where everybody has athleticism and talent, uh, there, there's only a certain few things that, that separate you from the good or the great. And that's, you know, your fundamentals and, and that's your IQ. And that's, you know, what I tell a lot of people about Vucevic, right? Uh, Vuce is not a high flyer. You know, you don't see him right. going catching two or three alley-oop dunks a game, but he beats you with his high-level fundamentals, his IQ. And I said, if you can have those two things, it's like you don't need athleticism. You know what I mean? You can, you can just play the game the way it is, and you can survive. I mean, look at LeBron James, right? Look at the kid that he was, you know, high flyer, getting to the paint, uh, you know, in his first early years. And look at him, you're 18. He's just playing with high-level fundamentals and, and IQ, and he knows where he's going to score from. He knows where he's getting the ball, know where his teammates are going to be. So he knows uh, what's about to happen before it happens. And I think when players get to that level, I mean, it's a, it's a great feeling to have. Uh, you know, I, I was a part of that, you know, being uh, in a European dynasty, you know, like we was so, uh, uh, so fundamentally sound. We was high level uh, execution that, you know, once we saw a way a defense was, was playing us, uh, before my coach would even say anything, we was able to adjust and go out there and, and, and produce like, right there on the fly. So um, I think, um, you know, studying, number one, I would tell every player, be a, be a student of the game. Because when you watch the game, it, it'll talk to you with, without really saying a word to you. Uh, and when you watch the game, you can see certain other teams run the same philosophy in defense or offense that we run. 
and you can picture and visit, visualize yourself in that position. Um, and that's what I tell guys every single night. The blueprint is on TV, you know, NBA TV, ESPN, however you want to watch the game, get to a TV, watch it, be a fan of it, but also watch it, break it down and, and, and visualize yourself, you know, uh, being that specific play or taking that specific shot. Mike, how do you rate Vucevic right now? What, 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 what is your opinion of where he is as a player right now? in his career um right now in his career you know I'm, I'm not trying to be you know biased because i work with the guy every single day but he's like in his position he's top two or three in in the league in my you know in my opinion and i know a lot of people will disagree there's a lot of people that will agree with that but what Vuce does for us at a high level i mean you can't take that away from him i mean every time the ball touches his hand something good happens for us whether that's a shot or a kick out for teammate for another shot or drive uh, and, and playing through him has given us, uh, through all the injuries, has gave us uh, a level of calmness to where we know that in offense we got somebody that we can go to. But, uh, you know, watching Vooch is, uh, is also, uh, uh, you know, I really enjoy watching him. You know, when you open up the computer and you take the coaching title away from you and you just sit back and watch him, again, you, you enjoy watching him, the, the fundamentals, the, the way he, he screens, the way he understands angles to open up angles to, to get to the basket or to the paint. You can see it happen before it happens. And when I watch video with Vooch, you can, um, you can see his IQ working when you put a picture of a video on a computer screen and you can ask him, what are your options from here and what are you reading? And the same thing that I'm thinking he is going ahead and he's talking it out right there. And when you have a player and a coach that's on the same page, uh, you know, good things are, are going to happen. And you saw that from the, from the first year we came here, you know, Vooch was an all-star. Uh, he was borderline all-star last year. And the numbers that he's putting up now, he's hopefully he will, you know, get another all-star nod again. I voted for him. So, you know, good, I'm good. for him. And I, I, I think it's, it's very rewarding for his career. Uh, he's putting in a lot of time, a lot of hard work. Uh, he's taking on a lot of responsibility uh, on his shoulders, especially like with all the injuries, uh, trying to keep us going offensively. So, you know, hopefully he, he's rewarded for that in a big way. Amen to that. So too. Hey, man, we keep pushing. We keep pushing. Well, keep up the great work, Mike. I mean, you guys have had uh, injury after injury, but you, you keep the guys fighting and pushing through and let's get healthy at some point and make a run at this thing. This, this has been great catching up with you. We really appreciate it. I feel like we need part two at some point down the line. I, know, I have a whole know, list of stuff here I didn't even get to. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I promise you guys, you guys want a part two, just let me know. I'll yeah, come here. We'll do it. And we, we'll do it. And we can sit here and talk for hours about, you know, yeah, different we, places I've been through, yes. uh, things in, in my life that I, I mean, that I used to see in history books that I used to think that was a fantasy that was unreal, like the Acropolis or whatever. And you yeah. drive right downtown, you look up to the mountain, there goes the Acropolis and the Temple of Zeus is over here. So we can get into all of that stuff, man. Another time. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I really enjoyed my time, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll, we'll keep pushing these guys to, to get better. And I, I know there's going to be a, a, a turnover pretty soon, especially yeah. when we get everybody healthy. And just explain for George, those places you mentioned are not in Las Vegas. Those are oh, actual not. places. No. no. I thought it was, I saw the Luxor and the Acropolis. Yes. 
And, and, and I tell all my American friends, don't don't cheat your, your way of enjoying the European lifestyle. Don't go to Vegas. Like, go to... <laughs> That's <Africa>. exactly. <laughs> and, and, I'm going to do that. And get we're going to plan experience. that trip. Yeah. And, I'm going to plan that trip. We're going we're gonna to pick your brain and we're going to bring loose, you... Loose uh, slots in the Acropolis. Damn right, they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That's awesome. Well, when we go, I'm gonna I'm gonna book a trip over there. We're gonna bring Mike with us because I want to kind of be a little bit of a rock star too, walking hey, around Greece. But... Any any time, man. Any time, man. Trust me, I would love for you guys to come over there and and enjoy and just you know see the life. But sure. But also see the people up over there. Absolutely. Treat you and, you know, respect you is something I, I never really experienced, you know, uh, growing up here in America. So to kind of get like that feeling of, of, of love, like really change, like the, the way I wake up and, and, you know, and think about, about life, you know, my, my early career, you know, go up in Long Beach in the city. It's, it's crazy. You know what I mean? And to, to survive that, that era of life and yeah. to, you know, live a, a different experience in another world was like, it was, it was life changing, you know, for, for me. And a lot of things I learned from the Greek people, like I, I use it in my life habits now. So uh, I learned a lot from them um, and they, and they love me unconditionally. And, and this is why I love, you know, Greece and why I consider it as a second home for me. That's great, Mike. Thanks so much. Good luck the rest of the way. And this podcast is presented by Kia. Official vehicle right. of the Orlando Magic.